Okay. Hello, and welcome to Nothing But Space, a weekly podcast where we talk about everything related to the universe, including the Milky Way, black holes, and other observable and non-observable phenomena. I'm your host, Francesca Fernandez, and today I will be taking you through what I hope to be a transformative journey. So, as you guys can probably tell, it's been a while since I've made an episode and I've just sat down and really like expunged my love for physics, and I've definitely missed that, okay? Because since starting college, I feel like I've just been like swamped with activities and classes and homework and PSETs and midterms and for the past couple weeks, I've just been trying to like make sense of everything and really solidify kind of what I'm doing. But today, today, we're back in better than ever to talk about what physicists conceive as quantum foam. And so last night I had, I had a few hours of spare time and I was just going through reading, you know, research articles and I was like, holy shit, this is so cool. This is, this is what my next episode has to be about. So today, we're talking about quantum foam. And now I'm sure that sounds like a scary idea, like quantum foam, what could that be? And the idea is, as I'm sure you've seen in the title, that empty space is essentially not actually empty. Empty space is full of content and it's thriving really, but only at the very, very microscopic level. And so what this means for us is that basically empty space doesn't actually exist. All space is full of full of something. So let's dive into that and exactly what that means. So first, I think we'll give like a definition of quantum foam and then we'll talk a little bit further about what that definition means and kind of like the implications that has for physics and what's going on in the world around us. At the microscopic or what we call the Planck level, around 10 to the power of negative 33 centimeters, particles are appearing and disappearing into and out of existence constantly, okay? And we call these particles virtual particles. And this is basically the creation and destruction of matter and antimatter. So you could have an electron popping into existence, but with that we would also have a positron popping into existence, and then they both disappear. And the reason that these particles are known as virtual particles is because this creation and destruction of particles occurs so quickly, it's basically instantaneous, that it's as if these particles never existed. And because we can say these particles are created so quickly, like snapped, like they never existed, we can call these particles essentially virtual or unreal, as if they're conjured from our mind because we can't, we really can't pinpoint them since they're appearing and disappearing out of existence so quickly. It's almost like, you know, like a figment of your imagination. And so because these particles are being created and destructed like instantaneously, it's almost not a particle because the way we think of particles is as microscopic. I'm going to use the term objects here that that last, but these quote unquote particles are appearing and disappearing instantaneously. So they're not really particles. It's more just a disturbance in what we perceive to be empty space. But here's the catch these disturbances are happening constantly. So it's not like, oh, you have matter and antimatter being created and destructed and then that's that. It's like, it happens all the time. These disturbances or the creation and destruction of matter and antimatter, it's happening constantly. So technically empty space isn't really empty at all, ever. And what are these disturbances? Like, why do we have these disturbances? Well, I'm going to give you more postulations a little bit later, but for right now, these disturbances are essentially the result of quantum fields. And so what we perceive as empty space, so for example, if you move your hand through the air or, you know, whenever you're moving your body through quote unquote empty space, it's not actually empty space 
because in this quote-unquote empty space, we still have the existence of quantum fields, except these quantum fields are existing in their lowest energy state. And so as we, or as you should have heard in the last episode, quick plug, if you haven't listened to the last episode about Heisenberg's uncertainty principle, go check that out because we're gonna, we're gonna use a lot of ideas from that in this episode. But because of Heisenberg's uncertainty principle, these quantum fields, they all have a level of uncertainty. And therefore, what we have with uncertainty is fluctuation, right? And so I kind of think about this like if you're very undecided, you're going to fluctuate between the very different decisions that you could possibly take. So if you take like a general scenario, say you're at an ice cream store trying to order a flavor of ice cream, okay, but you're a very indecisive person like me or like many other people. And so you're sitting there trying to decide like, do you want mint chocolate chip ice cream or do you want cookies and cream ice cream or do you want vanilla? You're going to fluctuate between all of these different options, right? Because you're so uncertain. So you're going to, maybe you're going to say like you want mint chocolate chip. And then a couple seconds later, you're going to realize like, wait, no, 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 no. I think I want cookies and cream. But then a couple seconds later, you're going to go back. Okay, wait, maybe I want mint chocolate chip. And you're just going to keep fluctuating back and forth. It's the same with quantum fields. They have this level of uncertainty and therefore they're going to fluctuate. And the result of these fluctuations is the creation of virtual particles. And so that is how we get the creation and destruction of matter and antimatter. It's because in quote unquote empty space, which as we know is not really empty, we still have the existence of quantum fields. And with this existence, with these quantum fields in their very lowest energy state, they are going to fluctuate. And these fluctuations lead to the creation of virtual particles. Now here's where we're going to bring in some of Heisenberg, some Heisenberg's uncertainty principle. And so a key factor of Heisenberg's uncertainty principle is that it states that extra energy can appear into existence as long as it disappears almost immediately. And that seems a little bit weird, right? Because if we think about conservation of energy, you can't just have extra energy like appearing out of nowhere. But with Heisenberg's uncertainty principle, what we're saying is that it's not that as if this extra energy is staying, okay? The extra energy, it appears, but then it disappears almost instantaneously. So what does that mean? Well, it's as if the extra energy was never really there. And therefore, we can technically kind of ignore it. We can, we can let it go and say that energy is still conserved in our universe or in the universe that we're looking at. So what Heisenberg's uncertainty principle means is that if the extra energy appears and then disappears instantaneously, then technically on the macroscopic scale, it's as if there's no extra energy at all. So total energy is staying constant and conservation of energy is not violated. But this is only on the macroscopic scale, right? Because as we said, quantum foam and the creation and destruction of virtual particles, that occurs on the very, very microscopic Planck scale. And so technically on the macroscopic scale, we don't have any extra energy appearing and disappearing. And therefore on the macroscopic scale, on the scale that you and I are used to, we still have conservation of energy. So it works with the physics. And so now I'm going to give you like a visualization of quantum foam and what it should look like. If we think about the word quantum foam, I like to picture quantum foam as a frothing jug of root beer. And so imagine you pour yourself a glass of very fizzy, very fresh root beer, okay? When you pour it, at the very top, you're going to have that brown foam, right? So you're going to have the drink, that dark brown drink. And then at the top, you're going to have like the light brown, fizzy, fizzy foam. And it's frothing. And in that foam, you have carbonated bubbles that appear and then they disappear and then they appear and then they disappear quickly, right? And it's just a process that keeps going on. Like you'll see a bubble appear and then it pops and then another bubble takes its place, appear and then pops. And you can only see this foam doing that when you're looking very closely at the root beer. So if you walk a few feet away, say you leave this cup of root beer on your table and then you walk 
I don't know, 10 feet away, and you look at the root beer, it seems perfectly still. You can't see the foam frothing, right? You can't see the bubbles being created and then disappearing and then created and then disappearing. It just looks still. Well, let's, now we can take this same analogy and apply it to energy. So if you think about quantum foam on the very, very microscopic scale, on the Planck scale or on the scale of where you're standing right next to your root beer, you can see the bubbles appearing and disappearing, appearing and disappearing. Or you can see the matter and antimatter being created and destroyed, created and destroyed. But on the macroscopic scale, so on our scale, or when you walk far away from your root beer, you can't see anything. It seems perfectly still. And that's kind of what quote unquote empty space is like. It's not really empty, but since we're on such a macroscopic scale, it appears empty to us. What this means is that quantum foam, just like the root beer froths, it's dynamic, it's ever-changing, and it's constantly frothing to and fro as energy is transformed into matter and matter is transformed into energy and virtual particles are appearing and disappearing, just like the carbonated bubbles in frothing root beer do. So now we have to address another question. So I told you these fluctuations are characterized by the creation of matter and antimatter, but why do we have matter and antimatter created in the first place? What leads to this phenomenon? And my answer for you is that the reason that we have the creation and destruction of virtual particles is because of the fluctuation of space-time. And so let me just give you a little bit of background. Right now, we don't know what space-time looks like at small scales since our theory of quantum gravity is incomplete. And so we're hypothesizing that at small scales, space-time is going to fluctuate, right? Because when we think about small scales, we're thinking about quantum scales. And we know that quantum fields, they have a level of uncertainty and they fluctuate. So therefore, on the quantum scale, we're going to hypothesize that space-time fluctuates too, okay? And what this means, if space-time fluctuates, it means that space nor time are definite at small scales, because at small scales, they are subject to the uncertainty principle, just as everything else is. And I know that's a little bit weird to think about, like how can space nor time be definite? Because we conceive of space and time as very definite. The way I think about this, what it means for like space-time to fluctuate, it's kind of weird. What this means is that many universes are forming within our own, undergoing an instantaneous life cycle and then disappearing instantaneously. So before, when we were talking about the frothing root beer analogy and how bubbles, carbonated bubbles, are appearing and then disappearing and appearing and disappearing constantly and instantaneously, now we have to think about this like many universes. So imagine with each carbonated bubble that's appearing and disappearing, imagine it contains an entire mini universe of its own. So you're gonna have a mini universe appearing and then disappearing and then appearing and disappearing. And what that means is that these mini universes, they're forming, undergoing an instantaneous life cycle and then disappearing instantaneously. Isn't that fascinating? Just think about in what we conceive as empty space, it's actually the fluctuation of space-time and the quote-unquote bubbles that are appearing and disappearing or what is characterizing these fluctuations and making it kind of appear like foam, these are all mini-universes that are undergoing instantaneous life cycles and then dying and disappearing.
So now we have to talk about why we created this theory in the first place. Because it sounds cool, it has cool ideas, but those don't mean anything if they don't hold any actual meaning in physics today, or in helping us solve a problem, or in helping us understand our universe. And so here is where quantum foam actually contributes to the greater body of physics knowledge. So current theories of quantum theory hypothesize that there is a large amount of energy in empty space, and our observations are giving an amount. But the amount of energy that is being hypothesized by these current theories of quantum theory are about 10 to the power of 120 times larger than our current observations. So really, if you think about it, that is a ton of energy that we have not accounted for. And so right now, physicists are kind of wondering, like, what do we do with this? Because we have so much extra energy that our own observations have not accounted for. And what do we do with that extra energy? So here's where quantum foam comes in. The idea is that with quantum foam, the energy is going to cancel out on the microscopic scale and then it has no effect or no significance on the macroscopic scale. Because we have this huge energy, right? We have 10 to the power of 120 times more energy than we can compensate for in our current observations. So we're saying, okay, we can have this amount of energy, but on the microscopic scale, it's going to appear and then disappear instantly, right? And so, because of that, the energy is going to cancel out on the microscopic scale. And then, because it's canceling out on the microscopic scale, this energy has no significance on the macroscopic scale. And therefore, we don't need to worry about all this extra energy, because on our scale, on the quote-unquote macroscopic scale, it has no significance. And so then, this extra energy, 10 to the power of 120 times more than we can, we can compensate for, it has no effect on the expansion of the universe. And so that is where quantum foam comes in and kind of helps physics out. So that's kind of like a general overview of quantum foam. Now I kind of want to talk a little bit about the implications because quantum foam has a lot of implications for physics in general and for astrophysics, which is kind of what we're here to talk about. So first, I wanted to talk about the implications quantum foam has for light. Okay, so I want you to think about it like this. Quantum foam. Because virtual particles are appearing in and out of place, right? Then if you have another particle moving through what we conceive as empty space, these virtual particles should technically alter this real particle's motion by disturbing it. And I'm gonna give you an analogy to kind of hopefully make that more sensical. So imagine that you're walking down a street and then you turn around a corner and you continue on your path. Okay, so that's kind of our idea of empty space. When you're walking down the street and continuing on your path, your path is not disturbed at all. But now imagine you're walking down the street, you turn around a corner, and as soon as you turn the corner, two feet away from your face is a pole, okay? And you just notice the pole. So it's almost like you bang into the pole, but you notice it, so you quickly swerve around it. But what does this pole do? Well, this pole temporarily disturbs your path. And that's kind of what quantum foam is like for particles. If you think about it, you have a particle moving through quote-unquote empty space, and then you have virtual particles appearing and disappearing out of existence. So the virtual particles are going to act like some disturbance or some quote-unquote pole. And so the particle, the real particle that's moving, has to swerve around this virtual particle. So here's where I tell you that light is the only set of particles that is truly affected by quantum foam, right? Because quantum foam is when particles appear and disappear instantaneously. So for the majority of particles that are moving at the majority of speeds, these virtual particles are appearing and disappearing so quickly that the real particle or the particle that is moving through quote-unquote empty space, it's not affected at all, okay? And so going back to our pole analogy, imagine that you turn the corner and then you see a pole two feet away from your face, right? So you almost bang into it. 
but then the pole disappears. And so your path hasn't really been disturbed since you can still technically, you turn the corner, you walk straight, and even though the pole, like, it may have scared you, it may have shocked you, it disappears. So you don't have to swerve around it. Your path is not disturbed. But say you're running. So now I want to give you a scenario. You're sprinting, okay? You're sprinting and you turn the corner and you see the pole and it disappears, but you're sprinting. You're moving so fast that even though the pole or the virtual particle disappears, you still have to swerve around it. Otherwise, you're going to bang into the pole. That's what it's like for light, okay? So for photons, if you imagine the photons to be yourself in this case and the virtual particles to be the pole, then you're going to have a photon traveling. And even because it's moving so fast, even though the virtual particle disappears, it's still its path is still disturbed. Whereas if you have a, a particle that is not moving at the speed of light, when it turns the corner, it's moving at such a leisurely speed that the pole or the virtual particle, when that disappears, the regular particle's path is not affected. So the path is only disturbed if the particle is a photon. And that's because photons move so fast that even though virtual particles are appearing and disappearing instantaneously, the photon's path is still disturbed. So what implications does this have for light? Well, we know that photons are going to quote unquote swerve around these virtual particles in different manners. And so in the long run, when you have light that travels billions of light years, they're going to end up in different places and the light is going to be scattered. So when the light has to undergo lots of swerving to the point where the effect is noticeable, because it's really not noticeable on small scales or even what we may consider to be large scales, it's only noticeable on very, very macroscopic scales. So light traveling from billions of light years away. When the light has to undergo this much swerving, then it appears like a halo rather than a concentrated point. So now I want to talk about the astrophysics implications of quantum foam. So that was the implications quantum foam had for light. We're going to be talking about Hawking radiation here, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what that is. So in 1974, Stephen Hawking realized that quantum foam exists near the event horizon of a black hole. So what would happen is you would have the appearance and disappearance of matter and antimatter near a black hole's event horizon, except one of these particles would go into the event horizon and down the black hole, and the other one would escape. And this is because the virtual particles are created so close to the black hole that one of them gets sucked in and the other escapes. And this is what is known as Hawking radiation. So what this means then is that more energy is escaping than what is going into the black hole, since the black hole is producing two virtual particles, right? Because virtual particles are produced in duos of matter and antimatter. So you're gonna have two virtual particles produced, except only one of them is going to get sucked into the black hole and the other one is going to escape. And so the black hole is losing energy. And because the black hole is losing energy, it's losing mass, right? Because E equals mc squared, mass can be equated to energy. So since the black hole is losing energy, it loses mass over time. And so a few logistics to Hawking radiation. One, the larger the black hole's mass, the lower its temperature. So large black holes are going to emit less Hawking radiation and lower energy Hawking radiation. And therefore, because they're losing mass at a much slower rate, they're going to live longer since they emit less radiation. They shrink less. So that is the conclusion of every, everything I wanted to inform you about in this episode. Thank you for tuning in. And I hope you were as fascinated as I am because this stuff excites me so much. Um, and obviously, as I've said a thousand times, I say it at the end of literally every episode, but one of my favorite things about quantum physics is how the unreal or what seems to be so unreal and out of this world, it's actually real. Um, but before I send you off, let's go over a quick recap of everything we talked about today. So first, 
empty space is not empty, right? So at the Planck scale or at 10 to the power of negative 33 centimeters, what we conceive as empty space is filled with bubbling and thriving foam known as quantum foam. And there's many ways to describe this. For one, it's the inst instantaneous appearance and disappearance of virtual particles or matter and antimatter. And this is justified by Heisenberg's uncertainty principle because there's uncertainty at the quantum scale. And we picture this like frothing, foaming root beer. So the way that root beer fizzes with bubbles that constantly appear and disappear and carbonation that's appearing and disappearing, that is what quantum foam looks like on these microscopic scales. But to go back to space-time, and I would say probably the most confusing part of this episode, the reason that virtual particles are appearing in and out of existence is due to the fluctuation of space-time. And I know it is hard to imagine, but at small scales, just like every particle is subject to quantum uncertainty, so is space-time. And what does uncertainty mean? It means fluctuations. So space-time is going to fluctuate. And qualitatively, what this actually means for space-time to fluctuate, because I can say that, but like, what the fuck does that mean, okay? It means that many universes are appearing and disappearing out of existence instantaneously. So now imagine that you take the frothing bubbles of quantum foam, right? The frothing bubbles of root beer. These bubbles, every single bubble that is appearing and disappearing instantaneously, they are many universes undergoing a life cycle. So from Big Bang to Collapse each bubble undergoes that entire life cycle. And so the implications of quantum foam are very widespread. Quantum foam affects how light travels for long distances, and not, not what you conceive as a long distance, I mean like billions of light years. And quantum foam also leads to Hawking radiation, where particle duos are created in black holes, but one particle escapes the black hole while the other is trapped beneath the event horizon. So over time, the black hole is going to lose mass. Okay. So thank you so much for tuning in. And if you can, please leave this podcast a nice review and rating on Apple Podcasts so we can reach more people, okay? Because space is cool and I would love to share my love of space and your love of space with everyone else, okay? Thank you so much. I hope you all have a great day. I will see you guys soon. Bye-bye now.